We're continuing our series in Gospel Rhythms. Today uh, we're talking about prayer and I love this series um, of Gospel Rhythms because it is just that, it's things that we should and are good for us to incorporate into our rhythms of life. So as you talk about prayer, there are going to be a lot of things that I don't touch on just because there's so many things I could talk about. Um, so just know that I might not speak to that thing that's on your heart. But um, my prayer is that I reach some of the heart of prayer this morning um, that God has spoken to me. So prayer, prayer's kind of crazy, you guys. I don't know if you've realized this, but if you, if you believe that you can talk directly to the God of the universe, the God who was there before the beginning of time and created the heavens and the earth and breathed stars into existence, that's kind of crazy. You might be crazy. Unless, unless we have historically verified proof that this God loves us, that he loved us so much that he sent his one and only son to die for us so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. If you didn't know that, that is the free gift of grace on offer for you. If you didn't know that, we have access to the presence of God, the Holy of Holies, because Jesus made a way for us. That's Hebrews 10. It'll be on the slides. It says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. That's what we were talking about when we did communion and that's our context for prayer today. We shouldn't be able to have this kind of access. I shouldn't be able to call up the most famous man in the world, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, and just have a chat. Dwayne The Rock Johnson would not appreciate that. Dwayne The Rock Johnson doesn't want that. But God does. And in fact, God wants us to pray to him more than we think he wants. And he wants us to pray to him for more than what we think he wants. But I don't want you leaving today just thinking, yeah, yeah, I, should, I probably should pray more. I, I want you to think, how can I not pray more? How can I not be praying? How can I not be relying on God? The heart of prayer uh, is how can I do anything without God in my life? John 15 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing, nothing. So as we get into more of our Bibles, we will be doing a lot of jumping around. There's no anchor text per se, but um, there are a lot of reasons, good reasons to pray and a lot of good ways to do it. Um, but like I said, for the sake of time, I've only got time to give you two. Um, number one, Reason why we should pray is because we can. Reason number two is that we need. Reason number one, we can. A great theologian many moons ago once said, we don't pursue these routines out of a legalistic sense of obligation. It's about responding from a place of anticipation for what God has promised to do in us. That great theologian is Sam Galehan, everybody. Last week he said that. Wise, wise words. Um, and here's, here's my spin on it for prayer. Prayer in and of itself cannot be the end goal, right? The end goal 
is coming to God and being with him closely and presently. Because our obligation, our performance mindset says, um, I, I need to pray because it makes me a better Christian. And then when I don't pray, I feel like a bad Christian. And, and people who don't pray, they're not actually proper Christians. But a faith or an anticipation mindset says, the holy presence of God is mine today because of Jesus Christ. There's future grace that's mine today that Jesus Christ has won. I don't want you to look back over your week and, and think uh, highly of yourself because of how much you prayed or poorly of yourself because of how little you prayed. I want us to look forward in faith to, to, to believe that he is, God is real, He is for you, He's available. Uh, there's, some, there's some verses on the screen, Psalm 139, that He's with us, He's our refuge and strength and ever-present help in time of trouble. In His presence is fullness of joy. Do we believe that? Are we chasing for that? Are we hungry for that? Are we expecting that? There's a depth of relationship that Jesus wants for us that we're not even aware of, that we're not even tapping into. Now, I'm not married, but I imagine when you marry someone, you don't just have the wedding and then go off on your separate ways. There is, uh, when you marry someone, you have the rest of your marriage to enjoy, to explore, to experience with your spouse. I imagine that's why you married them. How much more glorious then is our marriage to Christ? who offers us the fullness of all those good things in a marriage, intimacy and joy and security and peace and comfort, understanding, empathy. My cup overflows. This is our end goal, right? Not to pray more. But just like in a marriage, maybe, again, I'm not married, familiarity sets in, priorities blur, busyness gets in the way. Corrie ten Boom said once that if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. And the idea is that all these things cut off our connection to, to God and others and ourselves even. So how do we prevent this from happening? Maybe that's happening to you right now. Maybe you feel um, not motivated. Maybe you feel apathetic. Maybe you feel in the funk. I believe that's the biblical term for it. There's something that uh, Jesus did a lot that I'm not very good at, but I believe is key to recovering our souls and our lives and our wonder of our Creator. There's going to be a bunch of verses on the screen that I actually haven't written down, so I need to read these with you. Mark 1.35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Mark 6, then because so many people were coming and going that they did not have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Matthew 14, after he had dismissed them, he went up, um, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. Next slide. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. One of those days, Jesus went up to a mountainside to pray, spent the night praying to God. When Jesus heard what happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Once when Jesus was praying in private, his disciples came up with him and asked him who the crowd say I am. Last slide. Jesus withdrew, oh, sorry, Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He said to the disciples, sit here while I pray. 
He withdrew a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed. So the next one's the last one. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places to get away with God, to pray. And I acknowledge this is practically easier for some more than others. For example, if you've got one of those rascals in the back, if I'm allowed to say that. But there's a practice that, if you can, I believe must be a part of our rhythms that's commonly referred to as silence and solitude. Withdrawing from the hurry of life, getting away with God and getting real rest. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep, com- keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Just learn from him. Watch how he does it. Just be with him. Be in his presence. Sit at his feet. Do you see the kindness in his eyes? Do you hear the Lord say, Martha, Martha, Sebastian, Sebastian, you are upset and worried about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and will not be taken from her. If we're going to learn from Jesus as uh, apprentices under him, this is a regular practice that we cannot live without. So that's reason number one. Reason number one, we can. Reason number two is we need. Um, I used to coach squash, um, and I swear I met some of the most uncoordinated, athletically ungifted, cursed, you might say, (laughs) untalented, hopeless kids on the planet, and I'd sit there watching this mockery of a sport in front of me with my head in my hands, waiting for training to finish. But every now and then, there would be a child come up to me and say, hey, you know what? I'm um, actually terrible at this. And I'm like, yeah, you are. (laughs) Please help me. And those are the times where I'd enjoy training the most because that's what I'm there for. I'm there to help. I'm there to be side by side with you. I'm there to see you grow and develop. And so God loves when we come to him for help because that is who he is. That is what he's there for. Psalm 46, 1, as I've already referenced, he is our help. He came not to... um, He doesn't want to be served. That's not why he came. He came not to be served, but to serve. Right, that's Mark 10. He is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. That's Acts 17. Come to me, he says. Come to me, those who are upright and have got everything together and are good at time management and are pure in heart. No, he says, come to me, those who are weary and burdened. Come to me as you are, not as who you are when you come to church or in front of your kids. Come to me as who you really are. This is his heart for you, you who are weary and broken and sick. That is what he is there for. He is the doctor. This is our scandalous, other-minded God who does not think like us, who actually loves to serve us 
It sounds backwards and upside down, but this is why we need a Bible. Otherwise, we will construct a God who thinks like us, who wants to be served like us. Hosea 6.6 says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. He wants to give us mercy. That's his desire. But we're so busy offering, offering, offering what? Lip service, performance, and we fail to acknowledge that we actually need mercy. We need God. James 4.2 says, you do not have because you do not ask God. Ephesians 3.20 says, God is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. God wants us to ask him for more and more. But there is a disease spreading in our culture and on the North Shore, and it's called self-sufficiency. And it removes our awareness of our need for God and thus our reliance on him for every good and perfect gift that comes from above. That's what James 1 says. John 15:5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. I am the vine, you are the branches. It's who I am, I'm the vine. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And he uses the word abide another 10 times in like seven verses. And we don't really use that word anymore in regular conversation, do we? Abide. But the first time I heard this, my mind was blown that abide is just the verb form of abode. Home. Belonging. Abide in me. Make your home in me. Remain in me. Live in me. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. Now, I spoke earlier of the theological phenomenon known as the funk. Familiarity, lukewarmness, or apathy. Uh, let me tell you, there's nothing that quite gets you out of the funk, like, being, uh, like, like experiencing a newfound need of, um, for God. Nothing quite shakes your system like having something taken away from you uh, to realize you are self-sufficient. Nothing tells you more clearly than when your toolbox is taken from the back of your truck or your garage Sam or Ryan. I don't know what kind of attack the enemy has on our church, but I do know he really likes tools. <laughs> but one of the ways we can experience, um, re-experience this awareness of our need for God is fasting. Um, a physical simulation of a spiritual hunger and need for God. Here's some examples of fasting in the Bible that will be thrown on the screen. Nehemiah. Um, hears of God's people in trouble and he mourns and fasts with weeping and wailing. Oh, sorry, that's the next one. He, he well, basically he does. He, he weeps for some days, he mourns, fasts and prays before God. Um, what's the next one I have there? Esther, yes. Again, weeping and fasting and wailing as they learn of the new royal decree to kill all the Jews. 2 Samuel Twelve sixteen. David fasts and pleads with God, save his child from dying because of his own sin. Acts thirteen two. The leaders of the early church fasted and prayed before sending sending Barnabas, uh, Barnabas and Paul for mission, and they fasted and prayed again. Acts fourteen twenty three. As they appoint elders. Notice in each of these examples, fasting always comes with praying. There is a contending for a specific. Um, breakthrough and a humility a purpose there is a humility that brings us back to God's own heart he is our help 
So let him help. He is our rescuer, deliverer. So let him be those things. Unless the Lord builds a house, the labors, uh, the builders labor in vain. You are you. God is God. That's a simple fact of humility. He must increase. I must decrease. So that's what I call voluntary fasting, because I think we all have experienced um, another type of fasting that is involuntary, that is when that toolbox is taken away and exposes our self-sufficiency. When things are taken away, good things they might be, um, but not God things. What is our hope in? What is our trust in? What do we find our identity and meaning and purpose in? A forced fast will reveal those things. The common ones that we talk about that might be taken away, money, your job, relationships, reputation. Again, good things, but not God things. But what about church itself? Good thing, but not a God thing. Your own prayer and Bible reading habits, your own leaders, these are good things but we're never created with the capacity to withstand and hold all your faith and trust. The reality is, if your hope is built on anything except Jesus Christ himself, the cornerstone, the solid rock, then the rain will come and the wind will blow and your faith will fall with a great crash. But when our hope is in Jesus and our confidence is in his faithfulness and goodness and who he says he is in his word, we can say the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's Job 1. And so the last question that I want to end on, which could open up a whole new can of worms and have a whole new sermon series on it, is what about when God doesn't answer my prayers? When David fasted and prayed for his son, he didn't actually get healed. I've prayed for healings over seasons and periods and times and seen no progress. I've prayed for families and friends to know Christ and they still don't. And you think, surely God, this is what you want. I'm on my knees, what more do you want? I can't do this myself. My encouragement, my one encouragement to you. What happens when God doesn't answer my prayers. There's a promise in Jeremiah 33 that God always answers. Call to me and I will answer you. And God answers one of three responses always. It's either yes, wait, or I've actually got something better. And there's a lot of faith required in believing that, which can be scary. It's why the Bible tells us so many times, do not be afraid. But the fact that we, are, we need that encouragement so much leads me to believe that faith actually isn't the absence of fear. Faith isn't fearless. It's trusting when you fear the most. That's a Ben Hastings lyric. I didn't come up with that if you're going to quote me on Instagram for that. So wrapping up, why pray? Number one, because we can. Number two, because we need. There is no way I can get through my human life without the uplifting, sustaining hand of God. I want to walk humbly with God. That's Micah 6, 8. I want to experience the fullness of joy in his presence. I want to withdraw from the busyness of life and recover my soul in silence and solitude. And 
I'm confident that God is God and I am not. And I'm thankful for that. I'm humbled to realize that I am self-sufficient. And sometimes it takes a God-sized intervention for me to come to that realization. But when he does, my lips will still repeat, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Put your hope in God, Psalm 42, for yet I will praise him, my Savior and my God. So to wrap up suitably in prayer, I'd like you to repeat after me if you agree. You're just going to have to trust me that I'm not going to make you say something dumb. <laughs> but as we, can, we, can we pray together? Why don't, you, uh, why don't you stand and receive this, actually? Open your hands if you feel comfortable. King Jesus, repeat after King, King Jesus. Thank you for making a way for us. To approach your throne and draw near to you by the blood of Jesus. I lift my hands to you again. I re-surrender all. Everything I used to put my trust in is not as glorious, not as steadfast, not as trustworthy, not as good than your sovereign hand. I put my hope in you again, for I will yet praise you, my Saviour and my God. Amen, amen.